0: Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast, Episode 9. I'm Ben. I have Mike on the phone from Bethesda, Maryland. I'm here in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Hey, Mike, you with us?
1: I'm with you. Uh, wow, we sound really... Instead of saying we're from New York to <laughs> DC, we're very specific with where we are this week.
0: It's easier. You're in Bethesda. I'm in Park Slope. I'm not in Manhattan. I'm not going to pretend to be a Manhattanite. Come on, man.
1: No, but you are in New York. Yeah,
0: I'm in New York. Mike's in D.C. <laughs> there make we go. More, make it a little more simplistic. We, uh, we're we in different places right now, but we're coming at you because we have to. There's just too much happened in the NBA. I think uh, I read today in the Sunday shoot-around that, that Flannery did, Paul Flannery did. He said that 10% uh, of the NBA landscape was traded. Mike, I don't even know where to begin. i it, do you wanna you wanna start this off? I feel like you kinda of take us through some first impressions and, and then we'll just we'll move on to each individual trade and teams affected.
1: Yeah, that's the equivalent of like a hundred and forty three NFL players got moved on Thursday. And that's just on Thursday. I mean we had an active trade season before Thursday. Right. You know, we had Rondo and Maz Goff and Deion Waiters and uh Jeff Green. You know, so I mean an amazing amount of movement. Um But I I thought, thinking a little bit about the guys who got traded on Thursday, you know, how many of those players are going to make a big difference this year in the playoff race? You know, I'm just not sure. Like, I guess Aaron Aflalo will help the Blazers. But otherwise, I mean, and Oklahoma City is a little better. But, you know, it's still Golden State, Memphis, and the whole mix of teams in the West. It's still Atlanta in Cleveland, and maybe Toronto in the East. You know, nothing really changed out there. So it was a fun day without really much meeting this year, I think.
0: It's interesting. Uh, there were a lot of trades, like you said, throughout the course of the trade season, and some that have already changed the landscape, and we've been able to see uh, the fruits of those trades like with the Cavaliers, the three players they brought in, and getting you know rid of waiters. Um you know, the Rondo trade. So so there's already been enough movement that have affected teams that didn't make trades at the deadline, right? And it's also kind of interesting that Atlanta, uh, Toronto, and Toronto probably could have made a move or two, but they didn't. Uh, the Golden State, uh, the top teams in the NBA, the ones with they kind of already had the, the chemistry and the players that they wanted, didn't make any moves. It was those teams kind of more in the middle who had to make or break which direction they were taking this particular season, which I think speaks to what you're just talking about. These are short-term moves, and you can kind of project how they're going to make an impact on the teams that did make moves. But there were 11 trades just on the trade deadline itself, uh, which is an incredible amount of trades for for one day, especially given that a lot of those were multiple teams and multiple players. The one trade that I want to bring up first, because it also touches on another topic, which is sad for the NBA world um, in Chris Chris Bosh, is the Goran Dragic trade to Miami. Mike, at the time of the trade, I, I, I... Pingji or something like that, and you said this makes them a a contender of some capacity in the the East. With a healthy team, they could be a team that could knock off a a one or two seed. Now, tell me if that's what you really thought assuming Bosch was going to play, and then tell me how you think the Bosch injury affects them moving forward.
1: Yeah, the Bosch thing is very sad. Uh, First of all, hope that he recovers as a person. That's what's most important. Um, The Heat right now I don't think are a real threat to do anything this year without Bosch. I mean, they're they're so shallow behind him. They have to start Eudonis Haslam now, and that's like a you're dropping off the cliff there when you're talking about Bosch to Haslam. You know, Dragic is a big upgrade because their point guards have been abysmal this year. But still, a team with Dragic and, and Whiteside and, you know, whatever is left of Wade and Dang and with that much depth, I don't think that really scares you. But if you had added Bosch into that mix, you know, suddenly that might be one of the best starting lineups in the league, forget the East. And in the playoffs, you know, you don't have to play as many guys. And you have the stretch, the stretchness of Bosch and the rolling of Whiteside and, you know, you had two ball handlers and, you know, great spacing. I mean, that would have been a terror of a team, and maybe it will be next year. Uh, but as for this year, I just don't think that that's really going to make a big difference in the chase. And I know Miami, like, doesn't value draft picks, and, like, they're going for it, and, you know, they need it to kind of win now, given that they kept Bosch and Wade this summer, and Riley's very aggressive, and he doesn't do a lot wrong, but... I mean, they have, like, no draft picks in the next, like, few years. I mean, this is a big risk. I'm not sure it's worth it.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because their situation isn't too dissimilar. It's different, but it's not too dissimilar to the Nets in terms of the type of draft picks they're going to have moving forward. They're they basically committing to our market will bring in the free agent, and money notwithstanding, we will get those free agents which, which is a difficult way to play the game. You've saw you know Dallas and, and uh, uh, Houston, Chicago, New York, miss out on free agents uh, time over time over the last five years where they had that exact plan. There's only so many players who can actually change the landscape, um, and usually they get acquired via trades, like a James Harden, for example. Um, so you know a tra- these trades are interesting because Miami is old, and they just traded the ability to get younger talent, at least top-flight younger talent in the, in the future, And I'm not sure where this moves them for this next year's draft. You know, the Sixers have their draft pick. It's top 10 protected. It's one of the many protected draft picks the Sixers have coming up. And Miami is right on that cusp. Without Bosh, I'm not sure they're going to make the playoffs. And then it becomes, do they try to get their draft pick? The worst case scenario for them is missing the playoffs and giving the 12th pick to the Sixers, you know?
1: Right. I think they're going to make the playoffs because their point guards were so bad. I mean, I saw a stat that, they had the worst, something like the worst difference in PDR between their production and their opponents of any position in the entire league, hmm. forget point guards. Like, the difference between their point guards and the other team's point guards was bigger than the difference between any other team's position. Wow. And, you know, I mean, their their point guards were awful. I mean, Norris Cole is really not very good. Mario Chalmers is kind of not been very good either. Goran Dragic, you know, hasn't played great this year, and maybe last year was, like, a level he can't reach anymore. But he's a very good player. I mean, there's a that's a huge jump when you go from North Cole and Mario Chalmers to Goran Dragic. Oh, yeah. That's,
0: I mean, he was third-team All-NBA last year. So that makes him one of the six best guards in the NBA last year.
1: Yeah. And even yeah. if he's not that good right. going forward, like, I think that was a career year. I don't know if he's going to duplicate that. But even if he's not that good, I mean, he's a humongous upgrade on what they have. I think that the, the upgrade between their point guards and Drogic is bigger than the downgrade between Bosch and whoever else they play there. And, you know, and that mm-hmm. says a lot about how bad their point guards are. So I think they're gonna make the playoffs. I mean the question though is they make the playoffs, they take Drogic's twenty million a year to his five year max or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're all capped out and they're relying on Wade and Bosch to age and Drogic really, I mean Dragic is twenty nine next year. He's not super young. You know, and they're relying on those three to age well and if they don't then they have they're giving away some really valuable draft picks i mean nobody gives away (laughs) unprotected draft picks anymore not in this nba yeah yeah i mean i know it's six years from now but that's exactly the point i mean where are where is this team in six years
0: Yeah, I mean that speaks to Pat Riley though. I think part of part of this trade probably has something to do with how much longer he plans on being the GM of the uh, and president of the the Heat. Think about that, right? Yeah, he's he's probably going to play it out in a similar situation to Popovich and Duncan, where you know when you when you tell me it's time, it's time, and there's a little bit more on the leash for Wade and and riley together but um i think that's something will probably become a more of a storyline um you know in the next few years as riley oh, you know i'm 70 something oh we don't have any more yeah. draft picks it's like you know who's who's the next team who's going to give billy king a job we'll switch to that for let's get away from miami uh i yeah. i was a sixers fan my, my whole life how it have been i watched billy king um strip the sixers of parts make one bad trade after another Uh, for the better part of a decade. And uh, now he's basically done the same thing with the Nets. So his time is short we'll have to figure out the next middling market team who's like, hey, Billy King, he went to Duke, and uh, he might know some guys. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah,
1: you bring up a good point. Pat Riley is mm-hmm. like, that's oh, 2021. I'll be on a beach then. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't care about 2021. I mean, that, that is, I think it's a little dangerous for the long-term future of a franchise. But, sure. you know, it is true. You can't really doubt Riley. And if this team is healthy, I mean, it's not like the Nets where they just assemble <laughs> really old pieces well, that don't make sense. I mean, well, that was the thing, but, five makes sense.
0: Yeah, agreed. But this trade that you know, Minnesota and Brooklyn made to, to segue to the the Timberwolves and uh, Nets trade with Kevin Garnett <laughs> getting his wish going back, I guess his wish he he broke his no trade clause and he's going back home to where it uh, where it all started. And they all they gave up was a 26 year old player who most championship level teams would covet f- for that player. Yeah. Giving up Thad Young for Garnett is not a trade that should be able to be made in this NBA. That feels more like tampering than anything else I've ever seen. It, Thad Young is a 26 year old. Um, not of all-star level, but is a as good a utility player, fourth option as there is in the NBA, and he's 26 with good experience now and playoff experience. He guards multiple positions. You don't have to run plays for him. He's like Doug Collins' favorite player ever, and that should say a lot because Doug loves you know those types of guys. And and you were able to get him if you're the Nets and get rid of Garnett. What a win-win situation that is.
1: That oh yeah, confusing to me. And it's perfect for them, the Nets too, because they can't tank because they right. have no draft picks but they can't, they, they can't be really good because they're about to be sold. So they have to kind of settle in, like, the 40-win range, and suddenly now they could very easily settle in the 40-win yeah. range. A good <laughs> that was a perfect trade for them. And they save money.
0: So maybe Billy King keeps his job. I take everything I said back.
1: <laughs> and that was an unbelievable trade. I I couldn't believe that, that A, Garnett wanted to go back, you know, like right. that. I, I, I guess I thought his career would end a little bit more like he – if he was going to a contender, then maybe he'd have another chance. But no, I couldn't believe he wanted to go back. And I couldn't believe that the Timberwolves didn't ask for anything else in that trade. Like, don't you think Brooklyn would have thrown something else in to kind of make that palatable? Like, they just didn't even say, like, no, we need a uh, Bogdanovich or a Karasad or a second round pick. Like, can't you give us something a little extra? Right. Yeah. You know? Right. And then Flood Saunders comes out and says, no. Because, because you know how they the sequences they lose the the first round pick for Young and then they give the the first round pick for Kevin Garnett's swan song and <laughs> and Fort Saunders said says something like the mentorship that Garnett will provide I guarantee you will be worth more than a draft pick. <laughs>
0: but, oh man! Uh, you know who agrees I don't know with about him? that one? You know who agrees with him? Charles Barkley. But we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that was but, cra- I couldn't believe that trade. I couldn't believe yeah. that anyone. Well, because everyone would agree to it it was nuts. yeah, and
0: every other trade, this deadline, there were plenty, right? There were eleven, and we're going to talk about most of them. All of the others made some type of sense, depending on the direction of the team or, the, or different team's needs. This one was legitimately, and they say these like legacy trades where you get to send um you know you send a guy who' started his career back to home or whatever. Well, if there's actual basketball purpose there, then i'm I'm okay with it. I understand, like Tayshon Prince going back to Detroit. Is a good move for Detroit. Uh, they got better at the deadline. We'll talk about them in a minute. But uh, hmm. this trade—I'm
1: not sure I agree.
0: See, I think they did get better, but we'll talk about them. I, I like uh, the moves that Detroit made. But this trade right here, that this Garnett trade, was simply so that Flip and his buddy—I I, how many days after Garnett retires is he a partial owner or or player, you know, a GM of some uh, some kind with? Um, with the Timberwolves you know I, I hate these deals like this because he's not Dirk anymore he can't really play to come back and play
1: um well, what's what's awkward is that they want to they seem to think Garnett will be a great mentor to their young talent and that will make it worth worthwhile you know because they do have uh Wiggins and Anthony mm-hmm. Bennett and Gorgia Jang and now Shabazz Muhammad who's injured and yeah. you know all these guys uh And Garnett has historically been a mentor figure to a lot of big men. You know, a lot of Nets people say he's really helped with Mason Plumlee. But Hmm. can you really be a great leader while not kind of being a big face of your franchise? I mean, he can only play like 15 to 20 minutes, you know. He's old enough to be Wiggins'
0: dad. He could be Wiggins' dad. Nah, maybe. <laughs> I, I also thought about this. They already traded away the best mentor in all of maybe professional sports when they got rid of Mo Williams. So, you know, they cut uh-huh. their losses there uh, a few weeks back. And, and Mo Williams actually now is in a pretty good location. He's going to roll where he can, you know, get his shots whenever he feels like. He has no threat of coming out of the game and you know, playing with the Hornets. And uh, Kemba's not going back for any particular time period.
1: Yeah, it'll help them finish ninth nice place. Exactly. <laughs> it'll be great.
0: Well, even, unless they get the eighth seed. You never know. You never know. they
1: uh, I, I mean, I guess. Uh, cool, you get the eighth <laughs> so Uh The Hornets are like the most uninspiring team in the league right
0: now. <laughs> well, for a little and, period and of now time, now the Nets at
1: least have that young who can help them a little bit. They're a little more athletic. The Hornets, uh, just, uh. Well, so, we're so spending far too much time talking about the Hornets. Yeah,
0: enough Hornets. So they uh, they they made a small deal um, a few weeks back. But you guys, the the Wizards made a deal. You guys sent Andre Miller uh, out west and got Ramon Sessions. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. And that that moved the needle. It sounds so boring, doesn't
0: it? It's like, oh, Ramon Sessions. How many teams do you think he's played for now? He's not that
1: old. Uh, I saw a stat. He's been traded like three of the last four trade deadlines.
0: (laughs) Of course he has. He's played for like legitimately every team uh, who's been in last place and had to just get rid of him because he can help a contender. Like he was a sixer who then went to, I don't know, the Bucks or something like that. It's funny Mm. because... That trade didn't really matter, but we want to talk about Detroit. Um, the Detroit Pistons I thought got better. You didn't think they got better. But the reason I
1: It's not that I'm not I'm just not sure. I mean Mm -hmm. so they lose DJ Augustine, who's played very well for them, they lose Kyle Singler, uh, and they get Reggie Jackson. I mean Reggie Jackson is kind of this big black box of who knows. I mean he could be really good. But he could just not be that good. I mean, he's been really bad this year. I know there's a lot going on in Oklahoma City, but it's, there's a chance that Reggie Jackson just is not a very good basketball player, and there's a chance he's really good and just never got his opportunity. I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that could go.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And, the, and then Tayshawn Prince being the legacy player who went back to Detroit but can actually play and, and, and help them. Um, he was playing great for Boston. So you don't think that the additions of length and defense... Reggie Jackson can play D. He's a little bit longer... Uh, and, and a little bit more explosive. His upside is, in my opinion, definitely higher than Augustine's, but his consistency is not as strong. Um, so I actually think that Augustine going to Oklahoma City is the right fit for them. They need that kind of more consistent backup point guard that Reggie Jackson really couldn't be, uh, someone who can actually come in and actually run alongside Westbrook where it's logical, I think, which I don't think is how Reggie Jackson and, and Westbrook fit together because they both want the ball in their hands so badly. Um, mm-hmm. and Augustine's a better spot-up shooter. He can space the court a little bit better than a guy like Reggie Jackson, who's more of a, a rim attacker. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a good trade for both teams. There are trades where both teams win, where it just it makes sense, and I actually think that's the one. Reggie Jackson needed to leave. He wasn't going to re-sign. Uh, Singler's a good court spacer. I think he's going to be a good player in general for Oklahoma City. So I think both teams yeah, kind of made out that. nicely. Yeah,
1: the, the problem with Reggie Jackson, though, is we don't really have any evidence that he's ever run an offense. I mean, we have what he did last year for a little bit. Um, it's, it's just weird. He, he's been so bad this year in all aspects. I mean, he hasn't. He was very good on defense, I think, last year. But he's been terrible this year. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't shoot this year. He's just sulking. You know, this is a weird situation. But they have about two months to decide if he's, like, the guy. And then they have to pay him a lot of money. And that well, How is, much is
0: a lot? What's he going to get?
1: Well, he turned down, reportedly, like a $12 million offer because he thinks he can get more this summer.
0: Uh, Well, it's funny. The players who have been betting on themselves lately have been winning. Yeah, I mean, the going up. I mean, that's
1: why. It's just like, what is Reggie Jackson good at? Like, I like his potential. Like, he kind of passes the, when I see him, he looks like a guy that I would be scared of playing against. Mm -hmm. But he can't really shoot that well. He doesn't really finish that well. He doesn't like get to the free throw line that well. So what is he you good
0: at? I want to give you an analogy for him. I think he's sort of a poor man's Drew Holiday. I think that there's similar body build, kind of longer. They give other guards trouble because their length. I think Reggie Jackson has sneaky athleticism, similar to Drew as well. Um, they're not thought of as elite athletes, but they're actually quicker and faster and get up and down the court. Um, better than most. I think I think that his problem probably is that he's always been on a team that had very solidified roles, hierarchy. That's not the way the Pistons are. They're a team in, in transition. They're young. They're mostly yep. guys around his age that aren't the MVP or the most aggressive guy in the NBA or power forward already getting paid out like Ibaka. So, you know, it's. I think that the Thunder with championship expectations may have been a difficult spot for Reggie Jackson to fit in, but a team where he can kind of learn – where in the building process it's, you know, he's part of it as opposed to a tertiary component, I think that's kind of where he might have the time to bud. But hey, time will tell. I think that Stan Van's done a good job with point guards traditionally too. He had a great rapport mm-hmm. with Jameer Nelson. He lets those guys kind of you know, have the keys to the car. And, and like you said, Jackson hasn't proven he deserves to be driving it yet, but we can see you know, if that's the case.
1: Yeah, you, you're right about Van Gundy. I mean, he, he does do good things for point guards. He's definitely going to get his chance you know, and he does they're I don't know what they're doing with Monroe. They certainly still have Drummond. He's never had a role man like Drummond before. Mm-mm. So I think it's an interesting gamble for Detroit. Uh, but I think it is a big gamble. I mean, you know, let's say Reggie Jackson fulfills what he wants to be. I mean, he's what, the sixteenth, seventeenth best point guard in the league, making close to max money. I I don't know. I yeah. not yeah. I'm not sure that's, like, a great use of, of resources. I, I, I think I'm not sure that they couldn't have just kept what they had and tried to go a little cheaper on the point guard position and fill a wing void or something like that. Because Monroe is also the big question. He might just be gone. Right. You know, so I don't know if that – but then on the other hand, you know, what you're saying about Van Gundy, I mean, DJ Augustine's numbers have been incredible this year. mm mm-hmm. That's a testament to Dan Gundy as well. Jennings' so, numbers
0: Jennings' numbers were outrageous when he was healthy, too.
1: Yeah, so it, it's just interesting. Like knowing that, like, does that mean that Reggie Jackson is going to really take off, or does that mean that they can just plug anyone in and they shouldn't spend on their point guard? It's interesting. Let's switch to Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, though, because I think they've cashed in all their chips. Oh, yeah. And what they've got is they have Deion Waiters, they have Enos Canner now, they have Singler, they have Augustine. You know, I think that's about who they got, right? I mean, that's, that's mostly what they have. They yeah, they,
0: they, got, they got Cantor, Singler, Augustine, Novak. Um, and they let go of, or Perkins went to Utah. He has then uh, been cut by them, and he is now signing with the Cavs. And then they also got, uh, they left uh, Jackson, obviously left as well. Uh, I'm trying to think if anybody else left their team.
1: Well, they lost a couple draft picks. They yeah. traded one to get Waiters, the first-rounder, and then they traded another future one to get Ennis Cantor. Correct. So, I mean, they're they're all out of chips, and they're at the tax. I mean, how much better do you think they are?
0: Yeah, I, I actually think that they're they're a lot better. I looked at the team that was playing the other night. Um, when Adams comes back, too, from his, his hand injury or wrist injury, whatever it is, uh, they have as much size as any team in the NBA now. Mitch McGarry's been playing quite well. He's very, very aggressive. The combination of... Uh, Mitch McGarry, Cantor, and Adams with Ibaka just kind of set aside to play power forward where he doesn't have to worry about guarding up anymore. Uh, That's a lot of length and a lot of size. And then when you sprinkle in Westbrook and Durant to just attack and have this kind of legion of guys to do the dirty work, um, still with you know uh, Collison, Singler uh, coming off the bench, Augustine now as your backup point guard. I mean, Mike, if they started the season over, that could be a 65-win team um, in the West. I mean... So where they are moving forward, yeah. I've said this on you know the podcast maybe three months ago, I thought they were going to get home advantage. I don't think that's possible anymore given the, the hierarchy of the records in the West, but I think that going into the playoffs, Oklahoma City is going to be the singular most feared team in the NBA uh, if, not th- if they're not there already, and that obviously is predicated upon Durant's health, his foot, everything being you know kosher and there not be any long-term injuries there. But the way that Westbrook's playing right now, the level of – just everything he's doing for for both the intensity he always brings to the fact that he's getting to the free throw line like a michael jordan in his prime um he's really bringing his game to another level and you see everyone else feeding off of it sometimes winning that all-star game mvp has incredible bravada implications it makes guys feel really big
1: yeah you're the king I mean of the kings
0: difference. yeah you're the biggest guy on the court and then you know everyone knows that now you scored the most points on all the other all-stars and and Westbrook yeah, okay, did not so, need that chip on his shoulder, you know.
1: Yeah, okay, so you said all that. Yeah. What if they did nothing? How much of that, yeah. what if they just did nothing? They just kept the same team together, they just heard the year. I mean, sure. how much of what you're saying is, has, has changed? Sure,
0: I, um, only a little bit. Like, if I if I was right. confident in them, I'm only a little bit more confident now. So I, I totally get what you're saying, but it's not like the moves yeah. they made made me less confident. Like, I, did, I don't think that no. Presti made bad moves. And here's a guy who's been one of the most active GMs in the NBA since he took charge. Uh, to get to this team, like you said, the finished product is this. There's no more assets to cash in. There's big right. contracts to be signed in the future. So this is the team. Are they going to win the championship this year or next year? You tell me.
1: I, I, I'm just not sure they're that much better. I mean, mm. they, they cashed a lot of stuff in. I yeah. mean, they they have nothing. They have really no no plays left to make. I mean, they they traded everything, and what they get back, they they lose Jackson. They kind of already lost him, I think, in November. Really, he said he um, he, he didn't come into un- a game. Waiters.
0: He sat out of a game one time, right? Uh, that was yeah, the rumor. Yeah, I mean, they it's, lost him.
1: It's bad. They lost him a while ago. Re- realistically, uh, they have Dion the Waiters, who like I'm just not sure that I mean he's really anything special. I mean he's I don't think he's better than what Jackson was last year. I don't think um, he's
0: close to Jackson as a player. I, I can't stand watching waiters play. And I usually yeah. go over and, ab- and above to root for guys who come from the Philadelphia area. And waiters, I have never been able to get behind his game. I, there's too many possessions right. where he just dribbles around in circles and shoots a fadeaway from 20 feet, like all the time. Yeah, yeah.
1: I just don't think he's helping them that much. Tanner. I mean, you talk about McGarry. Like, why do they need Tanner?
0: Right. Well, that's, I think part of it is they have McGarry, and they have him for a while. On a really nice contract because he was drafted so late in the first. So I'm not sure that it's like you can you, having both of them is a bad thing. I also think with Canaris, he's really young. There's a lot of upside to be had there too. What is he? 22,
1: 23? Yeah, oh, he's nice. young.
0: So it's not like um, we always rush to these, and not me and you, but in general, we love to just figure out who guys are when they're 23 years old. And if I judge myself at 23, if, I, if you judged yourself at 23, how were you editing at 23? I, I don't even know what I was doing at 23 years old. And the idea here yeah. is that, like, these guys come to all this money, come from a different country like Cancer. Sometimes it takes a little more time uh, to mature. Was Marcus even in the NBA at 23?
1: I, yeah, I mean, you know, I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's actually going to be a germane topic for another trip sure. we'll talk about in a minute. Sure. But so here's the problem with Cantor, right? Now, now he is young, but you have to pay him this summer, Mm -hmm. and he's also another guy like Jackson who wanted out because his role was diminishing. Mm -hmm. You know, he was losing minutes to Gobert. He was losing minutes to Trevor Booker. Uh, He was not playing. He was playing in an uncomfortable system. You bring him in here at Oklahoma City. I mean, he's what like a really realistically he's a backup center for them. He's probably the third big man.
0: Yeah, probably at best. Yeah. Well, yeah, a, it depends. So he's he's, play, who's
1: he play with? He he plays a lot with Ibaka. He plays a little bit with Adams. Maybe he plays twenty-five minutes a game.
0: Yeah, yeah, but but it, that's a matchup they'd like to have, though. I think depending on who they get in the West, if I think he might be better for certain series than others. Like if there's if they're playing against um Golden State, for example, a team who's really only going to put one big guy on the court. Well, Caner plays a, a fine enough big man. Plus, he's a little more athletic than per se in terms of getting out to the, uh, out to shooters than a guy like Adams will be. And he's a little bit,
1: Maybe he's a little he bit more. He's a terrible defender, though. Yeah,
0: but that's part of the thing too. I think when you get to a different team, one of the first things you try to prove is defense above all, um, unless you're down that's Waiters. True. So we'll see if it if it actually turns out uh, like that for Cancer. The other trade that went down in in the West that I liked a lot the last time, uh, last real thing we'll talk about for the Western Conference was Aaron Aflalo and uh, Alonzo G going to Portland. Uh, For Thomas Robinson, who's played for like five teams now, Uh, Will Barton, a guy named Victor Claver, uh, and the 2016 lottery-protected first-round draft pick. Again, every pick except for Miami uh, picks that they sent to Phoenix have protection. That's just the new NBA. Everything is so intelligently traded. Um, But this one I thought was a really good trade for Portland. They have a really explosive and, at the same time, um, a good perimeter team. They kind of have the right combination of guys who can get to the rim and big men and the right Combination of shooters and court spacers. I think the the um a follow trade to go along with Nick Batum is nice because Batum hasn't really been as good as he has been in years past this season. He's been slumping from outside, and a follow can kind of either light that fire underneath Batum or kind of play alongside of him. Um, I like the trade a lot for Portland. would you think?
1: Yeah, it, it helps them. I mean, they they give up nothing really. And yep. They get a good player, and they don't have a lot of depth, especially on the perimeter. You know, I have some concerns about is a flalo going to be okay playing off the bench? I mean, that is, he's been a starter for a long time. I think he has a little bit of an inflated sense of his game. You know, is he going to be okay with kind of taking, playing 25 minutes a game and maybe sometimes not closing games? You know, I,
0: yeah, that's, that's a question I
1: have. Um, and the other one is that, you know, this is a team that now has Lillard is a, Aldridge is about to get a lot of money uh, as he should Lillard is about to get a lot of money as he should Matthews and Lopez were already free agents this year now in theory a flalo is an insurance in case Matthews gets too expensive but flalo is probably a free agent too so yeah, you know, what it, what are they doing? There's definitely a gopher and move for this year, but mm-hmm. what are they doing after this year with the Flawo and all those guys? I think yeah. that's the question. I think they would have rather had Wilson Chandler, but I don't think Denver. You know, Denver, I mean, we can talk about them forever. There's no direction whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> how do you trade? How do you trade a Flawo and not trade everybody else? I don't right, understand right. that. But I think Wilson Chandler with his contract next year would have made more sense for Portland. But I, I just don't think Denver was giving him up. And so they kind of settled for a Flavio instead.
0: But that's a good yeah. player to settle on. I think he's the type of player who's not going to push the needle. Again, you brought up this: does this really matter? Right? Do these trades really matter? I think this one matters a little bit in that it makes Portland a slightly better team. A yeah. Flavio is a good perimeter defender too; still a plus defender. Um, so you know, like if if we say that um, Lillard is a negative on-ball defender, which which he is, uh, maybe this helps a little bit if there's a bigger guard, maybe Rondo-type player uh, in a first round matchup or James Harden or clay Thompson. These, these are trades that are made for defensive reasons, or this one I should say is a trade made for a defensive purpose. I think above all, uh-huh. um, the buckets on Portland come from Lillard and they come from Aldridge and, um, that's, you know, that's a given. Um, so I like that yeah. trade. I, I like that you mentioned yeah. Denver because Denver <clears throat> made the biggest mistake of all. And they got caught in, in, in Sam Hinkie's web. Um, uh-huh. you never want to be in there. He's a vicious predator. That Sam Hinkie, And, Yeah, And he got Denver big time. Perhaps the biggest got, if you will, in the entire trade deadline was uh, Hinky getting a protected first round pick from Denver and JaVale McGee just to take JaVale McGee. So in essence, the, the price it was for Denver to get rid of JaVale McGee was a first round draft pick protected, which is actually Oklahoma City's and is top 18 protected. So should Oklahoma City make it into the, I don't know, 19th or 20th pick, which is exactly where they're angling to be? The Sixers get that pick. So Denver just gave up one of the pieces to rebuild as a team trying to rebuild so that we would take JaVale McGee from them. <clears throat> you tell me. Yeah, but, Mike, Mike, does that but, speak um, worse on Denver or JaVale McGee?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, <laughs> Denver has a lot of picks. So, yeah, they do. I mean, they just got one from Portland. They got two for Mozgov. They, they traded one of them. They have all their own picks. They have, I believe, maybe still a Knicks pick from the Carmelo trade. I mean... I think they can afford to sacrifice one to trim some payroll. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just why do that though?
0: They, they could have. I'm pretty sure the same way that we talked earlier about how you know Miami should have tried to get a second round thrown in, or or Timberwolves should have tried to get a little more than KG. I, the Sixers probably could have um, been okay with taking, if I know Hinky, just a couple more second round picks, not even having to mess with a protected anything. You know, uh, anything first round related. And Javal, because, again, the Sixers are right around that salary floor. A guy like McGee actually helps us get to a place uh, where we're not hitting that, that bottom threshold tax. We have to pay the rest of the players out the percent. So I think yeah. it's, it's quite interesting that the toll itself was Javal McGee and a first-round pick. But the bigger trade that the Sixers made, <clears throat> obviously, yeah. was Michael Carter-Williams to Milwaukee, Brandon Knight going to Phoenix, a whole lot going on here, uh, and the Sixers getting oh, the man, two, a lot going on. 2015 first-round pick, top five protected from the Lakers coming to the Sixers. So, Mike, this trade broke, and I almost didn't, I didn't believe it was happening. I went downstairs. I told my season ticket-holding friends that were here. I said, they traded Michael Carter-Williams. And they said, we just renewed our season tickets for next year. How do we get out of this? Because uh, the, <laughs> rebuild, the rebuild just started again.
1: Yeah, so I have strong opinions on this trade, but I want to hear from you first. Because like you, you kind of calmed down a little bit. You're very upset Thanks, you know, about man. this and also the uh, KJ McDaniels trade. Uh, you know what, what, I want to hear what you think first before I go into what I think.
0: Okay, all right, I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think that initially I was upset because I've enjoyed watching Michael Carter-Williams mature a little bit, become a type of player who without him the Sixers can't win a game actually can't win uh mm-hmm. to a team that when he plays are very competitive especially defensively holding teams good teams like golden state the other week to 86 points you know they they had picked up a type of and this is i was just home in philadelphia for the last three days i was actually home when this trade happened and the outcry was you know i don't and this is my this is my philadelphia accent so bear bear with me it was oh people God. people calling up, uh, you know, six ten WIP and 97.5, the fanatic, and they say, "I don't know about all these numbers. I don't know about, I don't <laughs> know about, you know, Sam Hinky thinks he's so smart, smarty pants Sam." And it kills, <laughs> it kills me because, because I I'm, that was a horrible Philly accent. Are you kidding me? If, if you, go spend a little time in Philadelphia, anybody listening okay. from Philadelphia, that's pretty spot on. It's like almost like Cockney, and. And the, like, that
1: sounded like a little bit of a southern accent. Well, it is.
0: The, the, the Philadelphia accent does have a little bit of a southern accent to it. It's, it's damn near impossible to describe it. You just have to live in it. And that's right. not to bash it. Anyhow, so people calling up because the, on the surface, it looks like we've now traded consecutive big trades in two years where we traded 23-year-old. One was an all-star and one was a rookie of the year. Now, the question is, and this is what everyone wanted to hear from Hinkie: is, that, well, why did you trade the guy who you thought you were building around? Well, if you think that's who they were building around, then you're upset. And I was initially upset because I thought he was part of the core. I thought that was a check, you know, check it off. But as I listened to Hinky's press conference, he used this pretty cool phrase. He said, what we're doing here is not linear. It's not, we have a point guard, check that off. We have a two guard, check that off. We have a small forward, check that off. He, he said, we're trying to get the most pieces that make the most sense so that we can be the best team possible he keeps everything very vague because when he has to get too specific it freaks people out and then they get upset about how he's using you know uh mathematical terms but he hinky made the point of saying in his press conference he wanted to go on the record and he said find it i've never used the term asset before i never call a player an asset i'll never call a guy on my team an asset they're people there is a human mm. angle here I, you know michael was a great young person and he had a very you know cordial way out of the uh you know out of the scene he, he tweeted something very nice about philadelphia and i, I actually hope michael Carter williams does great with the bucks i think he's in a better spot for him and a better coach to to learn under it's, it's jason kidd talking about point guards who couldn't shoot but had great careers and right. uh so i think it's good for him i say for the sixers it's fine look they have another massive i'll use the word asset they got the lakers top five protective pick this year and it's uh and you know Uh, Real win percentage, whatever, says the Lakers should be at the sixth pick this year. Now, we'll see. I think they're going to be a top-five pick. But then that becomes top-three protected next year. Lakers will be a little better. That's definitely going to transfer into a pick next year. So it's just more first-round picks on more first-round picks for the Sixers. As I step further away from it and I remove the emotional side of liking watching him play um, and the fact the rest of this season they're putting, you know, man, the lineup they started the other night with Richardson and Frazier on a 10-day contract – Um, Luke Mamoubate, it was one of the worst fives it's ever, and New Noel, who actually had 15, nine and nine blocks, but it was one of the worst lineups ever put out in NBA court. And that's the rest of the season. You know, unfortunately I have three more months to wait till they, you know, decide who, you know, where they're picking in the lottery. Then I'll get excited for that and then i'll get excited <laughs> for the draft and that's the you know cycle of a sixers fan and i'm going to watch a lot of summer league again because that's yeah <laughs> you know, unfortunately how it works so
1: you're okay with this yeah long story short okay i'm with okay with KJ it now McDaniels.
0: yeah and the kj mcdaniel trade i guess if he was so steadfast on not re-signing then it is what it is i you know i actually kind of like the fact that it's helping out houston because i i sort of want houston to win the west i, I like harden uh I, I kind of want somebody who's like laden in the mathematics and the analytics to, to be the guy who wins, so if Moray could win, it would make me feel better about what Hinky's doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Let's look at it like that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I actually think it's, it's good, because he's going to help Houston. I don't know, I don't think Houston can re-sign him. they got their own issues. I um, bet so they do re-sign him. You think so? He's going to, he, yeah, what if we ask for $8
1: million a year? You think they can afford well, that? he's Well, uh, he's got a, he's an arenas role guy, and he's restricted, so yeah, you know, they have to, Someone has to be able to want him for eight million a year. I, I don't think he's going to play that much for the rest of the year, to be honest. I I where's yeah. he going to? When's he going to play? They have they have good wing depth.
0: No, I I know, but then I mean, in that case, why make the trade? But uh, Lord knows well, they're not going to miss Isaiah they Cannon. Can keep him. Well, if if they, I think it's if they can keep him. I think there's going to be a team who sees him as a, a larger piece of the puzzle, more more of a, of a starter than a bench player, because he's not going to be a starter on Houston
1: ever. No, right. I think they're going to keep him. I think. Hmm. So here's my problem with what Philly did. I mean, if you look at it in terms of, like, well, the logic with Carter Williams is a little circular, I think, sometimes. It's, you know, well, Hanky didn't think he was a core piece, so he traded him, therefore he wasn't a core piece. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. The logic's a little circular there. I mean, maybe he, the problem I have is that, you know, when you look at each player as a in isolation, let me consider, like, is Carter Williams worth a top, protected pick. Is KJ McDaniels worth this? And if he is, if he is not as good as that asset, then we need to trade for that asset. If you kind of look at it like that, I think you end up devaluing a lot of your assets along the way. I mean, someone like Carter Williams, as a player, you know, he's got a lot of faults, but don't you think that his biggest faults are magnified because he doesn't play with any shooters?
0: (laughs) Well, of course, that's the, the... Double-edged sword to this is he point guards usually are a good reflection of the team around them, and they can you know add that percent increase to each player's talent ability as well. And he was dealing with terrible players and constantly different players, right? Yeah, uh, with the Sixers. So I agree.
1: Yeah, shoulder issue, and you know he. I saw a stat on that the Bucks and guy posted a real GM where he is creating the second or third highest percentage or number of uncontested jumpers in the league. And his teammates are shooting the absolute worst percentage on them.
0: I was going to say, that probably is more of a chicken-to-the-egg thing, right? Like, those guys are open because team scouting reports are like, leave Luke open. He's gonna miss that, or like let Jason Richardson shoot threes all day long, or let let KJ McDaniel shoot threes all day long. Because after the first fifteen games of the year, he's been shooting in the twenties, but still shooting them. Yeah, so
1: yeah, that that may be true, but it also speaks, I think, a little bit to a talent that Carter Williams has that is being wasted mm -hmm. with bad teammates. And I think, especially for a point guard, you know, I'm sensitive to this because I remember when John Wall, his first couple years, there were a lot of you know, similar criticisms to him that we get lobbed at with Carter Williams. Now, I'm not saying that Carter Williams is as good as John Wall. I'm saying that the criticisms were similar. This is a guy that doesn't have good tempo or pace and can't shoot, so it's too easy to guard him. But the thing about John Wall is that he had no teammates who could shoot, nobody who could set a good screen for him. So he's just kind of a lost all on its own without anyone who can kind of help him. And it just drags his value down. So to look at Carter Williams and say, yeah, his stats are terrible, he can't shoot, you have to, I think, have some context here. And I think the Sixers are are, making—I'm worried they're making the mistake of looking at him as what he is now, even at 23, instead of thinking, well, if he had a little more talent, a little more time to grow with his teammates, they could develop. I think they short-circuited this too too quickly. Yeah, perhaps. The value of the asset they got, you know, the Lakers, I think, are going to be, the chances are they're going to get their pick this year. And then maybe they make a couple signings and they're just run of the mill bad next year. And then maybe instead of that being the pick that could get Emmanuel Moutier or D'Angelo Russell or the point guard who's better than Carter Williams, maybe it's the 10th overall pick. And you're kind of back where you are with Carter Williams. And
0: well, the Sixers are going to have, part of this is that the Sixers get bad enough to get one of those guys with their own pick. If they kept Carter Williams, they were in danger of leapfrogging the Lakers, um, of staying above Minnesota. The Knicks are going to be the worst team in the NBA now. Um, so, you know, they, they made this trade to get worse on their own, to keep their own pick at a better, to get D'Angelo Russell this year or Mude or Towns or whoever they, you know, or Okafor if they get the number one pick. Um, you know, so that was part of the deal, and then the other part is maybe they don't get the Lakers this year. Maybe they get the Lakers next year. Maybe it's the eleventh pick. Well, then you have the eleventh pick again. That's where we got Carter Williams. Um, I think that there's some interesting things that you know the advanced stats tell us that you know his PER was fiftieth overall for point guards, five zero. point Mm -hmm. guards not in the nba total for the point guard position so every starter and 20 other guys who play point guard um he's
1: having a bad year he's having a
0: bad year and and part of the problem with carl williams like you said he had a shoulder he had a foot you know maybe he's been injured a lot he he rebounds a lot Now part of what makes him in a lot of people's eyes a better player than he is is he's always flirting with triple doubles which is an elusive stat but not really on the Sixers. There's a lot of opportunity for that. He's just crashing the boards. He's coming up. He's the only guy who touches the ball, a lot of possessions. It's going to be different for him in Milwaukee. Um, I don't know if his court spacing ability is going to hurt the fact that Milwaukee already lacks shooting. Uh, other than Middleton, nobody else in that team can step outside of 15 feet with any confidence.
1: Yeah, that's a problem. No and person. he's, he's and going to constrict the space. In the future, Jabari Parker can, and that will that will help the the other problem that you have to think about though is like the 76ers best at, best hope for a star that already is drafted <laughs> is Embiid.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And then maybe Noel and you know whatever they get this year. Don't you think that it would be very helpful to their development if they had a competent point guard giving of them the course, ball?
0: Of course. I I'm, and, I'm so telling this you is though. That's kind of what I'm
1: talking about. Like I think that these assets devalue themselves and you know, this certain quest for superstars, you know. A superstar doesn't usually, I mean, with some exceptions, doesn't usually come into the NBA and just dominate. He's got to grow into something. Point guard and star. there are all these opportunities, yeah. I think, for these players that get stunted because of different factors. You know, like, the sometimes you can throw them in and sink or swim and it's a good thing, and sometimes it, you ruin them. And I think the Sixers run the risk of, you know if they don't have somebody decent i mean it's not like Carter Williams is going to be expensive for a couple more years it's not like he you know is really going to be like this very overpriced person maybe in 4 years but then you could just flip him like all oh, these other teams flip their point guards you know so i just think the i just think that in this quest for assets they're losing you know the chance to kind of get the guys that they already have up a little bit more in yeah, what them you're grow. saying
0: to to let the asset uh, appreciate.
1: Right I just think that they're just every other every asset they have is getting worse because of they're making each other worse and that's the risky run and that's why I don't like the trade I think that Carter Williams for one could have improved with more time and more chemistry with this current mix and become a better player and a better asset and he would have made with some of the skills he had I think he could have made some of the you know the players that they were getting better. I mean, I guess we'll see. I mean, Isaiah Cannon can shoot. He's kind of the opposite of Carter Williams. Maybe Cannon is just way better than we think, and the same thing will happen. I just, <laughs> I just think that that's why I didn't like the trade. I think at some point you just have to build instead of and make every, all your pieces get better um, collectively. And you I wrote just, that. You uh, wrote you wrote like a something. piece.
0: You published a yeah. piece about about at what point do you say what are we actually working with? And so, I don't disagree with with. That you know line of thought, I think that you kind of have to suspend that line of thought as a Sixers fan. If I'm going to put the emotional yeah. side on it, um, but I will well, say here's that
1: the thing about Sixers fans, which I've learned, is that <laughs> tell me they, about myself.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Like,
1: tell me if I'm wrong about this. For 25 years, they're, they've had no direction and just totally aimless front office chasing 40 wins, and suddenly now they have a guy who is the complete opposite of that. This is a guy who is so steadfastly, you know, stuck to his plan. A very smart. Guy. I mean, Sam Hickey he knows what he's doing. He's a very smart you know, person. I'm not saying that he's an idiot. He's not. Far from it. But this is someone who is so dogmatic about their approach that it's almost refreshing for a lot of Sixers fans because they've dealt with the opposite for so many years. But I just think that the best GMing is a mix of both.
0: It probably is, but this this is an all in you know situation where he's far too pot committed to this strategy at this point. So we got to see how it plays out, and that's where the Philadelphia fan base is. They're also you have to look at Philadelphia as a very insular place. You know, holistically, the sports scene there is the Eagles and Chip Kelly are sort of a wild card. They're a little exciting. Who knows what they'll be, and the other three teams, uh, the the Phillies couldn't be worse. The Flyers are a very middling squad, and the Sixers have been you know trying to be and. um, Unfortunately, not even successfully been the worst team in the NBA, which is part of this. They, they're trying to be the worst team in the NBA, yeah. and they're not. So that's the NBA for you. I mean, the Knicks and Minnesota and the Lakers are still there to, to push them. Um, but I think part of this is what you said. Hinky is a smart guy, and he's been watching. No one's watched Emmanuel Mude and D'Angelo Russell uh, more than Hinckley, I promise you. Probably their parents, their head coaches, and Sam Hinckley. And, and and I'm telling you, he must think that either one or the other or both of them are, are better long-term prospects than Michael Carter-Williams. And I, I completely agree. These are guys who would be a first number, you know, overall pick in the draft if there wasn't a transcendent center, it would appear. I mean, we'll see if Okafor ends up developing offensive game and a little more foot speed. I'm sorry, defensive game and a little more foot speed. But offensively, he's as polished as any center in the NBA right now legitimately any center in the NBA. And uh so he'll be the number 1 pick. But he's got two guys, who he's saying I'm I have a great chance. Statistically, I have a 24 per sorry, a 34% chance of getting the two or three pick. Uh and you know t- uh, what would end up being almost a 25% chance if they can get to that number 1 seed to get that first pick. So he's putting all of his, you know, projection and mathematical brain power into those guys are better, therefore these picks are more important than having Michael Carter-Williams. Losing to get those picks is more important because those guys will fill that void. That linear projection he was talking about, how it's not, we have our point guard, now we're done with it. It's, this is a better player who can help us be better in the long run and that's why we're doing it. So, look, I have to buy in. I have to. I have no choice.
1: Yeah, I, I guess, I, I guess just to wrap this up, because I want to yep. talk a little bit about Milwaukee and Phoenix before we yep. stop. Yep. Hey, uh, what if they, none of that is. They could have kept Carter Williams and just said, you know, I'm not sure he's the long-term answer, but for now he's competent and he'll make some of our other guys better, as opposed to Tim Frazier, mm-hmm. you know. And then, <laughs> then we can always make a decision later. I mean, I just don't. There's no rush, and that leads us into our next discussion, which is the other two teams that swap point guards, Milwaukee yes. and Phoenix, uh, kind of looked at their guy and coming up in an extension and said, you know, I'm not so sure that. This guy is the answer. Let's let's try someone else. Um, and now they have the bust of Carter-Williams and the Suns have Knight instead of Dragic. I mean, two very interesting moves. I actually like what Milwaukee did. I'm curious what you think.
0: Yeah, I like what Milwaukee did, too. Um, if the plan was not to sign Knight, then getting Carter-Williams for a few more years is a better plan. Um, he'll be able to play with Parker. They'll be able to see what they can do together. Um, there would be none of that kind of guessing, well, how did Knight look when he was point guard in this team with Jabari, who's you know one of the cornerstones. So I thought it was a good trade for Milwaukee. I thought it was a good trade for Phoenix too. I, you know, I, I kind of liked, I liked all those point guards moving around. We should say Isaiah Thomas went to Boston as part of this too, so that Phoenix does not have three yards again. They actually still have two, but those two together. I watched the Bulls Phoenix game last night, and those two together were really good until the fourth quarter when the Bulls didn't miss a shot. Um, and defensively, that's going to be, you know. Phoenix's fatal flaw. But offensively, Knight and Bledsoe together are a, a headache, man. They're, they get up and down the court. They're hyper-athletic together. So I, I like the trade for them, and I like the trade for Milwaukee. Um, again, I think it was one of those win-win situations, especially when you're talking about contracts that aren't going to be re-signed. So it just has that extra little push, you know?
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm still not sure how I feel about Knight as a player. I mean, uh, the pro- why do, if, if you're Phoenix, right, like, why don't you just keep Thomas and keep all the draft picks?
0: Well, the, Thomas was probably something extracurricular that, that we're not privy to. It's got to be that way. He seems they, they to burn be, bridges instantly, you know.
1: Yeah, I guess it's possible. Then why why do you need to sacrifice that pick in order to pay Knight a lot of money? I mean, I right. agree that Knight is a better fit next to Bledsoe than Dragic. I mean, there's no question. But, you know, Knight is a guy that, you know, takes a lot of shots, uh, he doesn't he's not a very good defender. I mean he was the weak link on that Milwaukee defense. Uh he's not a great passer. Uh he can really score and shoot. I mean he's good at he's a nice guy to have in crunch time moments, but you know, he's not I don't think he's that great of a player and I think he's gonna get a lot of money. I think I think he, Milwaukee was much better this year when Knight was on the bench, which I think is a bit of a red flag to me. Hmm. So I just wonder if Phoenix is trading too much to get keep a two point guard thing going. I mean I agree that to some degree, there aren't a lot of twos, and Knight can play two a little bit, and you know all of that. I just think they gave up a lot to get a guy that and again Knight's going to get a lot of money this summer. I mean Knight is yeah. probably a fourteen million dollar player, so and you already are paying how much to Bledsoe? But,
0: but you mentioned yeah, a lot now. I, I I forget. I don't know. You're the the contract guy. I'm not sure exactly what Bledsoe's making, but I think you saying point guard is almost misleading for I agree. for all these guys. I mean, the whole problem that Phoenix has had is they've had all these like-minded offensive first score their own baskets point guards, if you will, you know, Dragic and Bledsoe and uh Thomas and uh Knight are all cut from a similar cloth of I can get my own bucket way easier than getting a, a teammates.
1: Yeah. So that's and part of the problem. The good news with the knight thing is that Bledsoe can guard twos and Knights can guard one. So mm-hmm. the tandem might work. I just I think they gave up a lot to get him. I like when Milwaukee did better because, A, I don't think Knights are that good. I think Carter Williams can have a similar impact while playing differently. I know that Carter Williams has his flaws, mm-hmm. but I think that when you consider their, his ability to pass and he's got better shooters even than Philly – I know they don't have great shooting, but, you know, you play him this year with uh, Dudley and Giannis and Middleton, I think that that's that's a lot of shooting. He's a better defender, so they're going to fortify their defense, fix their one-week link. They don't Mm -hmm. have to decide him for two years. And they get Miles Plumlee, who is going to help them a lot, and a nice prospect, maybe, and Tyler Ennis. And all they give up is the right to not pay Brandon Knight a lot of money. I think that's a great trade for them.
0: Yeah, it's interesting cuz Kendall Marshall also went back to the Suns where he was successful. And his stint yeah, there, so, he was though. he was quite good. Yeah. Yeah, so I think for the rest of the season
1: yeah, he's done for the year. He's done for
0: the year. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um. All right, so that was just a con- contractual throw-in then. Um, right. Yeah, it's it's interesting that this is the type of trade that happens in the NBA now, right? Point guards are just so expendable that you swap a point guard, right. throw a point guard around. You could just draft another point guard. Every kid growing up plays point guard now because if you're the best player, you get the ball in your hand. It's like the same way that uh, every single cornerback and wide receiver in college football was the quarterback at their high school. You know what I mean? It's a the best player has the ball in their hands and if you're the two guard you just play point guard now so the whole crop of the positions change so much man
1: yeah they basically every team basically just kick the can down the road with yeah. Decisions. yeah it's and true it's just funny like the, the Suns are saying we'd rather pay Knight a little less than Dragic the Buffs right. are saying we don't want to pay Knight and the Sixers are saying we don't eventually want to pay Carter <laughs> Williams
0: yeah yeah right it's, it's, the money rules everything right
1: yeah I just think <laughs> it's funny how that works but I I do think the Bucks won the trade. I, a lot of people don't agree because they don't like Carter Williams, but I think the Bucks were the clear winners in the trade.
0: So you are a Carter Williams fan. I,
1: I, think he's a, I think he's got a lot of things going for him. I think that sometimes it takes point guards a little while to come into their own. I mean, we've seen mm-hmm. so many examples of this. I mean, what if the Grizzlies traded Conley, you know, right. years into his career? What if uh, hmm. Atlanta dumps Jeff Teague? What if, I mean, Kyle Lowry got thrown around the league multiple times, you know,
0: True. It's These true. guys.
1: I mean, Dragic got is yeah. another example. This well, is another the, guy that got dumped. I mean, but the
0: common denominator just, there is is Daryl Morey just selling point guards, undervaluing them. They're like the running. <laughs> they're like the running backs of uh, you know of the NBA. They're replaceable yeah, but, in some capacity. But
1: sometimes they just don't. I mean. Cardinals is 23. I know his upside is not great, but he's only in his second year. I mean, he there's a lot of institutional knowledge. He, he still meets the game. Oh, absolutely. Especially
0: because he came from Syracuse, too, where Beheim's not teaching you how to play basketball. He puts you in a 2-3 zone.
1: Yeah. And then says, go play. I totally agree. I just yeah. think that that's the guy I would gamble on. I think yeah. with better teammates, I think you'll start to see him achieve a much better level and you know it may not happen in two years which means he may not be a max player in two years which right. may actually be a good thing For yeah, that's I true. just think I just think that if you had told if Carter Williams had stayed in Philly even if his jump shot really didn't get that much better I don't think he's like his best year is going to be his rookie year I just think that that's not going to happen
0: Bold prediction there, Mike. Well, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the last trade. I'll just mention it because, well, we're here in New York. I'm here in New York. You're in DC right now, and uh, well, the best player on the Knicks was traded to Houston. Pablo Prigioni um, has uh, has taken to the air and is now going to be playing his, uh, putting his talents in Houston, uh, bringing his talents to Houston. The Knicks got Alexi Shved, who started the year in uh, in Philadelphia, and two second round picks. Um, which are those second-round picks are where the Knicks get their starting five from for next year. And Pablo Prigioni has left the building, so I just wanted to – we had I had, yeah, I had to that. say it. I, I don't want to get all of the you know, Knicks listeners upset that we didn't talk about their blockbuster. Uh, yeah. And uh, Carmelo is now officially out for the rest of the year.
1: Um, yeah, so, well, what a stunner. He never didn't see that yeah. one
0: coming. Well, I'm just glad he got his 30 minutes in the All-Star game. <laughs> Let's <laughs> call, call it what is it
1: is. Absurd. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, interesting trade Dylan. but i I think I agree that you know really none of these moves are going to really tilt the you know tilt the championship breaks that much i i don't I still don't think Oklahoma City got that much better. I mean, they're not worse, right. but I don't think that there's the, those guys that got are the difference in a playoff series.
0: Well, then we just talked for like an hour uh about nothing. So,
1: yeah <laughs> yep, is the beauty? Always, what, why did I talk to you today?
0: <laughs> the beauty of the NBA, right? Could talk for an hour about nothing. Um, let's see, Sixers Orlando today. Everyone check that out. Big game. Sixers have to lose that. Um, I'm just just kidding. Um, but they do play today. Um, and uh, again, we have. I just want to again thank uh, thank Nikki uh, Nikki O here for helping us out with the sound again. I think we we sound better, Mike. I mean, we the technology to get you calling from DC to me here in New York there's no way we could have figured that out together. That's no, chance. no chance. No chance. I mean, if you were in like the living room and I was in the kitchen, we would have had trouble connecting this. So, <laughs> um, so good. Good. Mike, where can, uh, where can people find this podcast?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud uh, and we'll be starting to post these on SBNation.com as well. So you can check those out there. Uh, you know, th- those are the best spots we got. Um, and, Ben, before we sign off, I have a uh, bold prediction. Hit me. I think Kevin Garnett is going to play crunch time minutes in every single Timberwolves game of the rest of the year.
0: <laughs> it's perfect. I love it. I love it. Till next time, I'm, uh, I'm Ben. That's Mike. Limited Upside Podcast.